This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Kyle and I are very fortunate today. We have double trouble on with us. Ms. Teresa Kitchens and Ms. Denise Bravo are here, and we're going to talk about all kinds of things. But first, I just wanted to welcome you guys, and thank you for coming on with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. This will be fun. It will. Yeah, I think so. So it's definitely the first time that we've had – well, no, No. it isn't actually. It's the first time we've had four separate screens. Yeah, that's what it was. The guys from Glovebox sat next to each other when they were talking. So. I'll do my best to be the chaos coordinator. My wife actually has a t-shirt that says chaos coordinator. She thinks she's trying to send me a message. So why don't we start with you, Denise, talk a little bit about sort of where you came from, how you got into the insurance industry. We find that like 90% of the people we talked to had no interest in getting into the insurance industry or had ever even thought about it prior. Uh, So tell us your story. All right. So I actually came on board when my father, my now father-in-law started an agency. So he was a captive agent and he came to me, I was a week out of college and he said, listen, I need a year of your life. Just (laughs) one year where you type up and you teach me how to use the computer so I can sell some insurance. And I said, I will give you one year. And at the end of that year, I'm out of here and I'm going to go and finish my master's. And, um, well, that was 20 years ago. (laughs) What were you going to get your master's in? I psychology. I have a degree in psychology, one in Spanish linguistics and one in Portuguese studies. So it just was kind of one of those things where I still get to use all of it, but not quite in the same way. Can Um, Can you speak Portuguese? I can. I really can. It's been a hot minute since I get to use it. Obviously, in Tucson, <laughs> there's not a ton of, of yeah. Portuguese speaking going on, but Spanish, yeah, pretty damn. Right. It's, in- it's interesting to me because I listen, like, I'm a big time UFC fan. So I always like it when they interview the Brazilian fighters after the fight. And, like, it's a five-word question, but it's, like, a whole paragraph worth of Portuguese to translate it. It blows my mind. It seems like there's so much more that goes into saying something. I always wonder what it, it's how the, it actually translates. It's the cadence and how they speak. It's almost like a song. That's the best explanation I can come up with. And when you learn the language, you figure out when you speak with somebody, whether they're part of, like, northern Brazil or Southern Brazil. It's really interesting. So this is reminding me of a scene from Austin Powers where he's speaking some (laughs) other language and they ask him this question and it's like this crazy long two minute answer for like three words. Exactly. (laughs) So one thing that I found interesting is not, not only do people not intend on getting into the industry that we've been interviewing, but most of them have come from captive agencies. Yeah. I was going to say I've met probably one person and it was just in the last three months that they started as an independent. Mm-hmm. Most of them came from some sort of captive world and then moved over. 
almost as if we didn't know that there were better ways to do things. You know, it's in- it's interesting though because I don't know that that's a bad way to go, right? I mean, no, I can I'm not tell saying you, that it is. I just found yeah, it. I, I found it interesting. I just look at it, you know, from my perspective. When I was younger and and was in working for companies that already had all their training programs, all their infrastructure, everything. My job was much easier than it is today. Right. You know, when we launched, I say we launched, when I launched Scratch in 2016, there was nothing. And, you know, when Kyle came on board in 2018, there wasn't much more, you know, no. I mean, and so it's it's tough because for me, it's easier to execute when all of the boundaries and all of the rules and everything mm-hmm. are in place versus having to actually create all of the boundaries right. and all of the rules. And I remember then, sitting there know. asking you, like, like once I had gotten licensed, and you know, I'm ready to hit the ground running now. I'm like, all right, so what what do I need to do? <laughs> like, like I know I need to go out and sell, but like, what should I be doing? Like, am I doing enough? Am I like you'd always tell me that I'm you know I'm doing fine and everything, but I'm just like. I remember <clears throat> wanting to have, cause I came from, you know, two, my two previous jobs are very structured, like very regimented, uh, you know, daily activities. And, and it was just, you know, a completely new world. I had to kind of create it on, on my own with, with David's help. So. Um, I'm yeah. But there. I mean, I would say that we've done pretty good over, um, I would say over the last two years since you've been in as far as yeah. systems and processes and all oh, that stuff. A doubt. We've had we've I'm had talking I'm talking May of twenty eighteen. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> we had some people related issues, but yeah, right. I mean we didn't have anything and truthfully we brought Kyle on. I wasn't ready to hire a producer. I really didn't need one, to be honest with you. I I was doing okay on my own. I was actually doing really good on my own. And would have been fine, but the opportunity to pre- presented itself to me and I'm always have been of the notion that I'm not going to hire when I need people I'm gonna hire people right. that I want, you know, and you don't get stuck that way. So, well, that's interesting that, I mean, you would probably not Kyle might guess, cause I think he's heard me say it before, but you wouldn't know what my minor was in college unless I told you. What was it? What do you opera. think? It was for opera. It wasn't opera, opera but it was, <laughs> but it was, all, it was almost as weird. It was actually Japanese. No, really? I had, so, did not know that. No. So here's a fun fact. It Japanese. Listen, when you hear the logic behind it, you'll understand. When I started college, well, I'm the sure economy, there's a reason. There's, there's yeah, never all of the, a reason. All of the economy and everything was was in Japan. Like all of the manufacturing jobs were going over there. Mm-hmm. So if you were going to have a bright future, you needed to understand Japanese culture and all of this other stuff. Unfortunately, I took the Tommy Boy plan for college. And by the time I actually finished, the economy had shifted to China and it wasn't even relevant <laughs> anymore. So here I am walking around with a uh, minor in Japanese that is absolutely useless to me at this point. So you will appreciate then the fact that I wanted to have just a psychology degree. And my father said, you were born and raised in Mexico. You will get a Spanish linguistics degree. (laughs) If nothing else, I know you won't fail out of college because I better (laughs) at least be able to get that one accomplished. So, and then he said, you got to do one more language in I don't know. Brazilian boys were really cute. Why is he obsessed <laughs> with languages? Like my right? goodness. I think it's because you can adapt. That was the thought process. So definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I'll give him some credit. I'm pretty sure it comes, you comes in useful to you now, right? Yes. It would definitely sure. be useful in Arizona. I'm sure it would be useful in Texas. And I definitely know it would be useful here. Teresa, yeah. what's your story? What's your, what's your backstory? So I've got a backward story that's very familiar. So my dad had an Allstate agency and back in Texas, back in the mold crisis, back about 20 years ago, we he couldn't write homeowner's insurance. State, uh, State Farm stopped writing, farmers stopped writing, all these captives stopped writing insurance. And Allstate only took the very best of the best, no claims, perfect credit, all that. And he was only about three years in. So he was making enough, but not enough, you know, kind of in that in that space. So he was saying he really wanted to go independent. I, on the other hand, have an elementary education degree. I actually taught fifth grade English and I was a stay at home mom for nine years. So at this point, I was a stay at home mom and my mom had actually passed away about five years before. So, you know, my dad was my was my my project. He was my person I needed to take care of. And he looked at me one day and he goes, so 
I'm kind of thinking about opening up an independent agency. And I went, that sounds really cool. And he goes, but I got this little uh, non-compete thing going on. And I was like, well, okay, you know? And he goes, so here's the plan. I was like, okay. <laughs> he, already had, he already had the plan, right? He already had the plan, right. So he was like, we're gonna put your name on the contract, but you know, I'll be doing everything. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine, that's fine, no big deal. And he goes, you know, you, my youngest was three at that time. And he said, you can put Kaylee, your daughter, into mom's day out, just do it during mom's day out hours, like 10 to two, don't worry about this, this is gonna be easy. And I was like, okay, I can do that, you know? And I totally expected to be able to go back to teaching at one point, but, um, you know, life just had a different plan. And my dad stayed at Allstate for a few years. We opened up another business simultaneously that was more of a computer product and that took off. And so I kind of ran the computer products for a little bit and he pretty much ran the agency for a little bit. And just the technology was very, very challenging. So we really didn't grow very much over the course of the first 10 years in business. But then we ended up shutting down the other technology business and I re-engaged with the agency and um, I have a dream of more of a business than an agent in a CSR platform type of uh, model. So we've been able to grow quite substantially. And I've had a really, really great time. I can't even imagine going back to teaching at this point. But I loved being a teacher. I loved being a stay-at-home mom. And I love, I love insurance. It's really weird. But I got in on the back door and, um, you know, I've been able to do, have a lot of fun in the process. So my good friend Vonda Copeland was a teacher too, and I'm interested yep. in knowing um, how much do you think that translates to what you're doing today? I have to believe that some of that skill set helps you. Oh, 110%. Because, you know, we, we say that, you know, as an advisor, right, we're educating, we're teaching, right? And we have to be able to relate to people wherever they are, no matter if people have no idea what the word liability means versus if they understand and they've ever actually looked at a policy, right? So everybody comes to us at a completely different level, whether or not they bring on teenagers and they're shocked about what's going on with their rates, if they expand their business into maybe a different area and all of a sudden it totally changes everything with their commercial policy. But that's what we are, is we're educators overall. And so with that, we're protectors and educators. And just like I tried to protect those little kids, those little fifth graders from themselves and the girls from the boys, you know, because the boys are a little bit crazy in fifth grade, but the girls, you know, boys kind of have no idea, but the girls are kind of, you know, over here kind of thinking that the boys are cute, but the boys are still kind of doing their own thing. Same thing in insurance, right? We talk about carriers. We talk about all of our clients. You got to kind of corral them and make them feel loved and protect them from themselves sometimes, you know? So it, it's worked out really, really well. And then I really enjoyed being able to do a little bit more on the end of just like speaking, doing other things in the insurance industry as well. And that's been a real joy for me as well. You know, it's interesting because I have a theory on most things in life and my theory on things as it relates to insurance and sales is really pretty simple. If you can take the time to just give people the reason why behind everything you're explaining to them, you're going to beat almost all of your competition because everybody's trying to hit it and quit it, right? They just want to get in, do what they need to do to get a deal done and, and be out. Whereas if you take the time to explain to people why you're, you're making the recommendations that you're making, aside from the fact that you're a highly trained professional who's been doing it for a long time, it's a, uh, it's a really easy way to write business, honestly. Well, they look just at you and, and being patient too, right? Because I can't necessarily always be really, really patient. But if I know that I'm going to be in a sales conversation or I know the person that I'm calling or is calling me on the phone – calling for that reason, I immediately program myself to get there. And that's one of the things I always do my best to do is just make sure people understand the reason why. Well, they look yeah. at you as that advisor versus that, you know, insurance salesperson that, that we always talk about on here. And I mean, there's, there's clients that I have that, that call me and ask me questions about what they should do before they do this next step of their business. And it's not like, may not have anything to do with insurance. Um, and I think that's how you develop those, those, you know, lasting relationships. I agree. So Denise, let's switch back to you for a second. Talk up a little bit about your agency. What's your mix look like? I mean, what kind of business are you writing and all so, of that? 
We are very different from most folks. We do a huge chunk of group health insurance. Oh, really? Good. Care business. And, you know, a small chunk of individual because that has shifted. And uh, so really our property casualty business is now significantly smaller compared to our group health and life business. Interesting. Yeah, it's been a, a huge thing. Um, my husband and his mom ran an agency on their own, and we were able to merge both the property casualty and the life and health sites together. So when I have a client, we usually take care of their homes, their auto, their commercial business, their group health insurance, their Medicare for their parents. I mean, when we get one person, we, we are getting them their business and their parents' business all at once. So it's very, very different in that way. Um, it definitely makes for an interesting um, time management schedule because October, November, December is where we are just absolutely bananas and involved mm-hmm. on how things look. Now, of course, this year we're going to be shifting significantly because um, pretty much our entire Medicare book of business. Those are folks that we see them once a year. Uh, and this year, it's really interesting to start having those conversations with them right now because the kind of running joke right now is that they'll they'll ask me to go on live or do some sort of Zoom meeting with them. They want to look at a picture of my son to see how tall he has gotten. That's really why they were coming to the office to begin with. <laughs> and they want to make sure they go, Denise, am I taken care of? And I go, yes, you are. And they go, okay, that's all I need. So it's completely shifted exactly what Teresa was saying. We've educated them enough to tell them like, here are the pitfalls. Here are the things that we're going to be looking out for. And when we place someone in a piece of business, we we tell them we're not placing you in the most affordable piece of business. We're not play, We're placing you where you're meant to be. So the only reason why we're going to pull you out of that piece of business is if they no longer serve what your purpose was. And I'll tell you what, it is such a different conversation on the benefits side than mm-hmm. it is in PNC because it's not you're not just affecting the bottom line for the employer. You're affecting the culture of the organization. You could have an effect on the employee and their family and all of the other things. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's... Um, especially with the way some of these plans have gotten with regard to high deductibles. I mean, they put the high and high deductible at this point. Good grief. I mean, mm-hmm. people, and we see it all the time because it's a massive tool for recruiting and retaining talent. The people who get it are the ones that have thriving businesses and the ones who don't are just, it's like a freaking uh, merry-go-round, you know, revolving door constantly of turnover because of how the benefits programs work. And that's the interesting part out of what we have done for years. You know, while the ACA made a lot of shifts into the individual packets of the world, it also allowed us to really shore up our relationships with those business owners where we just said, hey, listen, here's where the wave is coming we knew that there was going to be a change in 2016. We just knew that was coming. So in 2014, we told them we're going to make this change. And when everyone else is busy, just losing their ever living mind, you will be handled next. And that's exactly how it worked for us. So now as we're seeing yet another shift that's coming, because, you know, not to get into a lot of the pandemic world, but one of the first things that they did is that they said, we're going to give free COVID testing. That was one of the first things that we saw. Folks, someone's paying for that COVID test, and that's you at your renewal, period. Yeah. End of story. Someone's paying for those, and that's you. Right. And, and having those conversations three months ago, made it for a much easier transition for folks that were talking to them about what their benefits are going to be a year from now. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it'll be, I would be interested in hearing what people have to talk about as you go through renewals this year. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you're already having some of those conversations, but it would just be interesting to sort of get the general vibe of people 
um, for benefits and everything else. I, I happen to believe, and I've been on record as saying this, um, we don't do benefits in our agency. We have a joint venture that we refer it out to somebody that we share space with at the other, with the aisle uh, office Kyle's at, mm-hmm. and he, that's all he does. But, but I think that, um, if you are a PNC agent and you're out there calling on business owners, you should definitely be having the buy sell agreement conversation with them immediately or key man. Right. right. And I'm not necessarily saying that you need to prey on the fear of what COVID has done, but there's a lot of guys out there that are partners in business and they just dodged a major bullet so mm-hmm. far. And, you know, I've been pretty successful. I don't ever like, I don't ever say, Hey, this is the idea I have. I think I'm going to do. I always make sure it works before I ever talk about it to other people. And I mean, I've been pretty successful at just going back to business owners and having that specific conversation around buy sell over the course of the last couple of months. And it's a great incremental way to make money in the agency. You're just asking a question. I don't think that a lot of PNC people think about that, but again, going back to being an advisor versus a salesman, that's a that's a normal question that I ask when I engage with somebody where I fall off is because I'm not in the life and health, you know, playground. area, yeah, playground every day. I forget four years from then to say, hey, by the way, have you taken a look at your buy sell? You guys are doing quadruple the revenue you were originally doing. And so I've made it a focused effort to go back and talk to some of those. And I mean, I just picked up one. That's uh two five million dollar term policies to fund a buy sell. I'm like, that's just free money because I asked a question, you mm. know, and that's it's serious coin. It's not like anything to 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 blow off. So it's, it, it'll be I think people's people's thoughts are really gonna shift a lot. And I, I would like to think that employers are gonna make a better I'm not not that all employers are bad. Benefits are an expense. It's usually the second biggest expense aside from payroll on somebody's financials. They don't need to be cheap with it. I want, I, I'm really hoping people will step back and actually make educated decisions instead of looking at, at price this year. And I think we are seeing that. I think that one of the biggest shifts that we have seen, uh, or at least the clients that we, we have been blessed to take care of for years, they will say things because there are other companies that come on board and they'll say, well, I think I can do a better job. And they'll say, no, Bravo Insurance Solutions has been taking care of us for the last 34 years. They haven't failed us any at any point. They're not going to fail us now. And what that meant or what that has meant is that things have shifted and we have shifted with them. Um you know, we went from those when they were trying to make payroll, right? And those hard times to the engagement of, hey, now we've hired our 10th employee to we're in our 50th employee year. Now we need to look at our IRA. Our, our, our See, there's the Spanish speaking in me coming out. Um, those shifts definitely have made us be able to carry that legacy with our clients. And I don't see that changing now. And I do believe that we had kind of a mass exodus on the on the life and health side where just agents just called it quits. They said, not this is not the job for me. And, you know, I was very glad because those of us that have been completely passionate about them, about them, we've grown. And those that were doing a disservice walked out of the agencies and that's a great thing for us. It really has been. So um, it shifts the way that we do business. It definitely makes for a very interesting fourth quarter, but um, you know, game on. That's what we're here for. Right. So it's fun. There you go. Yeah. All right, Teresa, you're up. What's your story? Talk about your agency a little bit. I'm interested in hearing the differences. So we are more of a, what I would call just, you know, your traditional agency. We just mainly do auto homes and commercial. Um, we don't do a lot of large commercial. We're just really starting to dabble in commercial since, since um, <clears throat> like I mentioned, my background was that I literally did not even have a license when I signed on <laughs> with, with the agency. Um, and I would literally call my dad and say, what is this E&O thing that we're supposed to have? And he would go, I don't know. You know, I'll take care of all that. And I would say, what is this accord? One, what, what number is this? And he was like, I don't know. I don't have any clue. If Google wasn't around, I mean, I would have just been sunk. But, you know, luckily, 
we we fought our way through it, but we've kind of stuck with what we knew and wanted to be able to make that transition. And like I said, we had two businesses going there for a little while, so we kind of played it safe. So just in the past few years, we've been trying to go a little bit more into some commercial insurance. But again, without having, and you know, you guys talked earlier and this is so important in the insurance space, so important, is that when we go independent, if we have not had that background, like I, my dad had been with Allstate, but I had never been through any formal training in sales. I was a teacher, right? We didn't have to, we didn't have to sell anybody anything in school. It was discipline, right? It was get in there and kick your butt, right? But the reality mm -hmm. is, is that trying to figure out sales and marketing and how to be able to run an agency and having zero business background and everything. And, and I would get a little bit frustrated at times because I would sit back and I'd approach an idea with my dad. I'd have like six options. Right. And he would go, those sound great. And I would be like, which one? Mean? <laughs> exactly. Or he'd say, let me think about it. Let's have lunch next week. And I'd be like, okay, <laughs> why is it going to take a week? And then he'd go, those are great ideas. And I'm that's not Dude, the point. There he sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's huge. So, you know, I finally got to the point where, and I think every agency owner gets to this point, and I think we, we get into the business and we get to what I call, what I call kind of a balls to the walls kind of moment. You got to make it work. You got to, this is no longer playtime. This is no longer trying out new things. This is no longer an experiment. You just got to, you got to bring in the revenue and you got to make it work. And that's kind of where we got to. And we really, instead of having five different ways to do things, we just had to choose one. And then we had to work that path and then choose the next one and then work that path and then choose the next one. And I'm so ADD, I have a hard time. I want to go back and rework the three steps I've already accomplished to try to make them more efficient. And I can't do that. You got to keep on, keep on. So we've really stuck in the personal lines into things. We have about a 80, 85% book right now in that arena. Hopefully here soon it'll be a little bit more 80 because we have some good stuff coming down the road. But we've worked really, really well with a really great team. The last uh, two and a half years, I've really taken us and restructured us a little bit more into the area of being able to be more efficient with virtual assistants, being able to bring on account managers, bring on, being able to let our producers sell rather than doing a lot of the servicing that they were doing. And that mental shift has been very difficult for to be able to have people release things. But it's been good and we've been very, very blessed and I wouldn't do it any other way. So we're in the process now of, of growth. We kind of went we kind of went back and stopped and resituated, I think, for a little bit. And now we're at the point where we're just really ready to be able to escalate and move forward. So I think it's funny because you brought up the you you made the comment about what's ENO or what's an ENO. Yeah. You know, I look back and there's times I'm so thankful that I didn't get caught with some of the stuff that had happened. Seriously. You know, I mean, I'm not asking anybody to air their dirty laundry, you know, on the airwaves or anything, but good grief. I mean, I think all of us have been there at some point or another where we I look just think back. there's so many different opportunities for that to happen, especially, if, you know, when you're new and have no idea what's going on. That's why I always right. ask you a million questions. Yeah, I know. And I mean, it's, that's, what's crazy. It just, there's always a building that could be left off right. or a vehicle that doesn't Something get stupid. added. Or, and I'm looking yeah, at just one minor thing, you know, and it could just change everything for, for the other people, you know, on the other side of the conversation. And, and I just, and I'm one of these people, I always believe that people dream at night based on what their fears are and what they, what they worry about the most. So, you know, that's where our, our dreams come in at night. So like my husband always thinks he's being attacked by something. That's his, that's his email. So like he's fighting polar bears and I mean, he's been surrounded by packs of dogs and I mean, he's even been on the front line of football games before, literally before we got married, I, I walked in and he had this huge knot on his head and I was like, what happened to you? He evidently got in on a full, football stance thinking he was on the front lines of an old, you know, high school football, whatever college football. And he propelled himself into the headboard of the bed just because he's such an active dreamer. Right? How, did, how did you not wake up for this? Well, I was not there. I was not there oh. this was before we got married, but I like walked okay. in and I'm like, what is that thing on your head? So I, now I'm here to protect you. <laughs> but awesome. what he's I do, we're all kind of crazy. But what I do is I wake up in the middle of the night worried if somebody paid their bill. Right. And that's the <laughs> weirdest most stupid thing. Did I add that card? Did we, do we send off all that paperwork? And I know I've done it, right? I know I've done it. I know my team has done it, but I worry about 
letting people down. And that is my biggest fear in life is letting people down. And that's what I, I what that's what wakes me up in the middle of the night. So, you know, being in the insurance industry, I agree with you. We, we have to kind of take those things into consideration whenever we choose to be in this industry. You know, Teresa, you just said something that I find really interesting because I fired a client, a prospect yesterday, and it's because I caught them in a lie and a pretty big lie. So I just said, you know, ma'am, I have to tell you, I want to be able to sleep well at night. And the only way I do that is by knowing I took care of you. Yeah. The only way I can do that is by knowing that you didn't lie to me. But now we've started a relationship where the first thing you said to me was a lie. And so now I know I won't be able to sleep at night. And therefore, we're just not a good match. Yeah. I wish you the best of luck. And that has been, I talk about being able to sleep at night forever. And I said, it's important to me. And I knew I was going to worry about whether or not she was telling me the truth for the rest of our relationship. Right. Nobody got that. Let Let me tell you who I caught in a lie. The BMW, the BMW dealer. Let <laughs> <laughs> yeah. me tell you how. Let me tell you how I caught them. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you how I caught them. I used their own technology against them. They thought I was. They didn't give me credit, right? So one of the first things they do is when you drop your car off at the dealership, they do a walk around with an uh, iPad or something, whatever their device is, to show you like all of the blemishes that are on your vehicle, so that you don't blame them for it or whatever. Well, as all of this stuff is going on, um, I took it in for engine issues. I was told that they now need to have me spend a couple thousand dollars to fix the fact that it's riding low in the back because there's these two modules that are under the back part of the ah, car. That's just that, the dead body in the trunk. Don't worry that, about yeah, it. <laughs> that had been sitting there wet and cr- they got corroded. And so the car suspension quit and it was basically sitting on the back tires, right? And so I waited and waited and the guy called me and literally it's like a week in between calls. He called me a week and a half ago on a Friday afternoon. And it was the first time my wife had the pleasure of hearing the discourse between the two of us because it was over the car speakers. And I hung up the phone and she said, I don't even know how that guy functions in the real world. And like, this is supposed to be an educated person. Um, but anyhow, so he, he tells me all these things are going to have to do. I said, I have a problem. I said, you know, maybe it's because, I like work in claims and things for a living, but you've told me all of the things you want to do to fix my car, but you haven't told me you've identified the root cause of the issue. And he said, I I don't understand. I said, well, if there's water that are sitting in the box that these modules sit in, where's it coming from? And how can we guarantee it's not going to happen again? Like, why would I spend two grand to have you put two new modules in if it's going to turn around and short those out in another week? Right. And so he's like, well, you know, this is a long-term problem, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, There's no video of any corrosion, no video of the parts they've taken out, no video of my allegedly wet trunk. And I went back and looked at the walk around video and sent them screenshots today that show that my car clearly was not riding low when I dropped it off to them. So it's going to be interesting to see how this thing works out. But I'm with you, Denise. I'm not a fan of I'm not a fan of the liar. Not a fan. (laughs) Well, we're in that protection industry, right? I mean, we're here to be able to help people move forward. And I always, whenever I drop my kids off at school or whatever, I always had this thing. I always, always say, bye guys, have a great day. Make the world safe for democracy. And that's my, that's my little tagline. My kids will say that all the time. I was always like, make the world safe for democracy. That's what we're doing today, right? Well, I mean, that's what we do in insurance is we make the world safer, right? And that's actually our, our uh, I was actually talking to um, to a friend the other day and she goes, that's your insurance, like your, your mission statement. She goes, that's where you need to take your mission statement. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, making the world safer one policy at a time. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's genius because that's what we do. We make the world safer one policy at a time. And if we start with bad information up front, it's only downhill from there. Well, and they're the one that's going to come back and tell you you did something wrong anyhow. Right. right? So listen, <laughs> yeah. So listen, you guys are doing some cool stuff. I know you have your own podcast. Why don't you Talk about that for a little bit so that anybody that's listening that has an interest in tuning in knows where to find you. And then I want to talk about what you're doing with your subgroup of IAOA, because I think that that's going to be a really powerful group you guys have started. Absolutely. Well, you know, um, back at uh, Innovation 2020, I had actually met Denise. Uh, 
And um, she had actually spoke, I had spoke on the stage. And so, and she, I don't know, there was something about her energy that was just like, oh my gosh, we're, we're soul sisters. So we actually connected and we said, hey, we want to connect after this too. But I also connected with other women there at the Innovation 20. And we talked about how running an agency is just different for women. And it's not good or bad. It's not right or wrong. It's just, there are just certain conversations, certain way that we speak to each other, certain ways that we communicate with our team, certain challenges that we have with our families and even with our clients that are unique to a woman. And so I had multiple conversations in that round. And I said, I was talking to another friend of mine, Brooke, and she was like, oh my gosh, you so should have a podcast about this because it's a really, really relevant conversation. And we got into a conversation also about how women in insurance, not just as agency owners, but women in insurance tend to take more of a, of a servant-oriented role, which is a wonderful thing. But why is it that we're not agency owners? Why is it that we're not necessarily as many in the, in the corporate world? So what I wanted to do is uh, I started a podcast called Power Women in Insurance. And what we want to do is we want to show all aspects of insurance, not just agency ownership, not just the roles of an agency. We're also interviewing, I have uh, next week, I actually have an area manager with uh, Liberty Mutual that's going to be coming on with us. I've actually interviewed uh, last couple weeks ago, a lady who has a risk management degree and she is working with Marsh with cyber insurance right now. And just the the challenges and the joys that she's had watching that industry, because you know, the cyber area is quite a, a baby aspect of the insurance industry and watching these women really take off and really have found their own careers in an industry is really, really inspiring. Hearing how they manage their families, hearing how they manage their teams, hearing how they have acquired their positions and how they deal with their other people that work for them and with them is something that I think a lot of women can benefit from. We've really focused a lot on the women of IAOA um, just because that's my circle of influence. But yet at the same point, we're really being able to branch out into other areas as well. And I'm super excited about being able to have people just send me messages. Hey, this person's on fire right now. You really need to interview them. And I really want to make sure that we really celebrate all women in insurance. So even if it's a you know, an account manager or receptionist, even if it's somebody who works customer service for a carrier, if they can find the podcast and say, you know what, that sounds amazing, whatever that is, we want to encourage more women to step up and find their career in the insurance industry. So that's called the Power Women in Insurance. It's on iTunes. Um, we also have a Facebook page if people want to go and get updates every week as well. Very cool. So, so you said something that I'm going to drill down on. I can't promise Ooh, you that drill we're gonna, down. We're not going to drive change today because I know how men are wired and they always want to believe what they want to believe. But you said that. It, I don't believe that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it comes back to the liberal arts education and the Japanese minor. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But um, you talked about the unique challenges that women face. What what would you say? It actually was on my list of questions to talk about anyhow, so I'm glad you brought it up. What would you say the biggest challenges, and I'll let both of you answer the same question, but what would you say the biggest challenges that you faced? And, and no holds barred. I'm interested in hearing, like, give me the good, give me the real stuff that you're dealing with, because I think that part of part of the issues that you run into when there's inequality in any situation, regardless of whether it's race, gender, economic, otherwise – you have to table what the issue is first and, 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 and look at it and, and identify what it is before you can come up with a solution. And I really think that a lot of the times, like I was absolutely, and, and I don't look, I I'm a, I'm a pretty forward thinking person. I don't have preconceived notions about people or, or anything else. I have a belief structure, but I don't, I don't go into a conversation that way. When I saw the thread in IAOA last week or the week before yeah, about exactly how clients were, were to me, that's something I absolutely never would have even thought existed. Right. All right. Shame on me for not knowing. Let's, yeah. Shame on yeah. me for not knowing. Right. But even it was networking com- events and stuff, they get kind of crazy. I mean, you know, and not everybody thinks that way. 
Kyle, you look confused. So here's what I did. I, I just mi- I just missed what he said. I didn't. Well, hear. yeah, he's not. You're not in. You're no. not in IAOA, so you but wouldn't. Right. Stand up women um, are, and and I'm going to hit that first question that you asked. It's and and what is the biggest problem? Okay. Mm-hmm. Women are expected to work like they don't have children, and mothers are supposed to act like they don't work. Mm-hmm. In a nutshell, that's what the difference is. What do you think causes that? Because let me tell you, I that that hits close to home to me. And the reason why is because I have a very successful wife, has an awesome job. You know, can, she doesn't need me for anything really. Um, Same. You know, <laughs> but we're both we're both you know Kyle and I are both actually kind of in the same boat. Our wives make good money, have good jobs. You know, just we're we both married up. We'll leave it at that. But I get in a conversation with my mother, who was a stay-at-home mom, and her comment was, "It's just different when you're this age, David. When you were in my generation, you were expected to stay home. You weren't allowed to work." Or, but at the same time that's usually a conversation around why I'm keeping all four kids while my wife is traveling. So it's almost like my mom wanted to work, but she, it was societal, right? Like you were expected to be a stay at home mom in the Midwest in the early seventies, you know, when I was born. But now that my wife is out actually working, it's almost like, well, I didn't have that lug like that's a luxury, right? It's a luxury that you have a job and you can go out and travel and make money and do all of these things. Never mind you that we have a special needs son who has an extremely tight bond with my wife and she has to separate from him for a week at a time sometimes. You know, I just I think it's really, really I I don't know how what forms people's thought process around that? I just, what's your insight to that? Why, why would you think that? Um, because it just, I, I don't know. I just don't think that way. I can't get my head around it. Like I have a lady, the lady who basically runs commercial lines for us works from seven to two thirty every day. She couldn't get a job at any other agency around because they want her to work from nine to five or eight to four thirty or five or whatever. And so when I talked to her, her skill set was right. She said, well, I'm going to have to tell you what the big problem is going to be. And she said, I have to work from 7 to 2.30 every day because I need to be there to take care of the kids. And I'm like, why is that a problem? I don't care. You get here at 7 o'clock. That's awesome. I've got somebody else that comes in around lunchtime that can at least answer the phones or whatever in the office. We don't – it's not like people are burning up the phones you know, to, to talk to us or whatever. But I just think it's interesting because she thought that was automatically going to be a problem and that that never even entered my mind. Well, I think you, from my perspective, and I was a stay-at-home mom for a long time. I grew up in a family where um, I was... I was expected that when I had children that I would be a stay at home mom. I mean, that was, that was my mother's expectation of me in the world. And that was, that was just kind of a, I'm not going to use the word culture. Cause I'm, you know, I don't really have this like special culture or anything, just the deep South, deep South Baptist woman that I was raised to be. Right. So I think that, you know, it, if we, if we just look at the role of a man and a woman, let's just really break it down into really, really nuts and bolts. Right. You guys have kids. When you have kids, it's that, you know, sometimes men are incredibly nurturing. They have done a fabulous job. And I think there have been so many men that are much more involved in their children's lives and in their homes, doing laundry, sweeping. My mom used to say, marry a man with a college degree so he'll vacuum. And I was like, why does it matter if he has a college degree if he'll vacuum? She said, because he's not exhausted when he comes home. And I think that that is a really big thing is that now we have a little bit of a different culture to where men are much more involved in the home structure, a lot more cooking dinner, making, making, you know, getting the laundry done, hanging things up than they were 25 years ago. But at the same point, not that that necessarily works is, is part of the conversation today. We're still battling a lot of that because of the cultures we were all raised in. But yet, even with that, I do think that even if you just look at the nature of a man and a woman, right, when you have a kid specifically, there are very different ways that we approach that kid. Very, very different. And if we can just take that one example 
just that one example and how different a man is from a woman and how they just approach parenting, you can see a huge difference between the sexes. And that is every single aspect of life. The way that we approach our teens is different because we approach them different from a man in the same way that we approach our children different. Not that our teens are children, but we take things in a different way emotionally. We want to communicate a little bit differently. Maybe we want to be able to be, we give them too many chances, right? Maybe we, um, you know, we struggle emotionally with the fact that being home at 6.30 or seven and, and, and somebody else is making dinner. I struggle with that. Sometimes my, I have the most wonderful husband on the planet, but when he goes, I'll make dinner, I feel like somehow I failed. And I shouldn't feel that way, but it's my cultural, the way that I was, I was raised. And at this point, I'm even an empty nester. My kids are 28, uh, 27 and 21. And being at home, I find that I'm bored. I find that I want to work more. I open up my computer 10 times more now because I'm bored on a Saturday afternoon. Not that my husband isn't wonderful and amazing. It's just while he's watching sports, I might as well just work. And he looks at me and he goes, why are you always working? I'm going, what else is there to do? As a woman, if we have downtime, we're doing laundry, we're doing dishes, we're, we're cleaning up, we're picking up toys, we're doing these things with the kids. And the reality is we're so... I think ingrained in the fact that we have to do, 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 do in so many ways, but we approach doing in so many different ways than a man does. And I think that alone, if we just look at the, the core of how we just approach our families, I think we can see just if we extend that conversation out, how it would extend out to the other areas, including running a business. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting because, you know, we've got a really good system, I guess, at our house. Like that, That's that's what I'm hearing is mm -hmm. that uh, because my wife and I basically split like the dinner responsibilities and kid childcare and running them around. And, and we know that up front, you know, I've got it pretty good. I would hate, look, I'll tell you right now, if it's not, if I, if, if I'm not supposed to go home and take down, take care of dinner tonight and I've been up, since four o'clock this morning and I walk in the house at six o'clock and all of a sudden I'm expected to cook dinner in addition to all of that, not going to be a happy camper at all. And so I think, you know, that's, that's what I take out of um, Denise's comment, right? That you're expected to act like you don't work. Like you're not allowed to be tired at the end of the day and come home. You're expected just to hit it like yeah. you had, had been home all day as a stay-at-home parent. Not that that's not tiring in its own right. I'd rather be at work all day than at home all day sometimes because it's our house is wild. You know, it's just what it is. It's it's literally a white knuckle ride every day. But I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for anything because I know that when I go home tonight, our meals are planned. I know what my my responsibilities are. I know what my wife's are. And, you know, we're going to end up getting everything done, get the kids to bed in one piece, hopefully, and go to bed and start it over again tomorrow. But, I mean, what a horrible feeling that would be <laughs> to, to to work all day and feel like it's just completely. Like you're failing from either personally or in business, that there's no win in that particular case. That's crazy. And that's that shouldn't be. I, I hate that you have that people feel that way. Hi, well, I mean, have you ever been asked to smile more? Have I? <laughs> smile more so you're more approachable. Yeah. Y you know what? Honestly, yes, I have. Oh, there's well, I will tell you that a woman it, it, is asked to smile. Yeah, and I will tell you why. It's because I'm big. Yeah. Oh, me, it's because I'm a dick. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I'm... Yeah. Smile, you know, I'm, you're more approachable. I'm, and then yeah. I'm more approachable and, hey, can I have your cell phone number? No, here's my work number. No. No, yeah. don't be a bitch because, really, I want to call you on your cell phone. But aren't we friends now? Shouldn't I be right. able to approach you at 8 o'clock at night on a Saturday when after I had a few drinks? That's a slippery slope that a woman sees. Well, and it's crazy. Like I, I like to me, if I was that person's significant other, or if that person wasn't like, I'm dealing with a situation in the agency right now where a client or it's a complicated story, client slash prospect. It's kind of half and half um, sent something extremely inappropriate to one of the ladies who works with me. Mm-hmm. 
and it got back to me. And so I said, all I'm going to ask you to do is reply back and say, apparently this is the wrong attachment that you sent me. Please forward me the supplemental application that I originally requested. And I said, I'm not telling you that I'm brushing this under the mat. I want to see what the response is. I said, but you need to understand regardless of what it is before he's ever allowed to talk to you again, he has to go through me because I'm not going to put up with that mistake or not a mistake. This person is in a business that requires them to be thorough. And what transpired was not indicative that this person was being thorough in what they were doing. So I'll deal with it, but I just want to, she replied back, hasn't heard from the guy in a week and a half. Mm -hmm. So, right. And that's not uncommon. That's not uncommon. I mean, if we get out, we network, we go to, you know, all these like happy hours with realtors or whoever your, your primary market is. I mean, I'm, I'm not a spring chicken. Don't get me wrong. You know, but I mean, I've been in this industry for 20 years. Right. So when I started, I was 29 years old. And um, actually, no, I'm, I'm going to be 47. Oh, I am 47. And we're going on 20 years in January. So I was 27 years old. Right. So uh, the math. Sorry. I'm just like my head. I'm not that old. Anyway. Um, <laughs> sorry. In my head, I'm still like 32. So um, anyway, but, you know, when I started, I was 27 years old. And I can tell you, I remember going to Keller Williams open houses in the foyer of this this huge, you know, branch. And they had this chocolate fountain and there was all this food and we were all mingling, da 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 da. And, and this person was like, hey, let me walk you out to your car real quick. You know, it's not safe for somebody to walk out to their car at 10 o'clock at night by themselves. I'm like, okay, no problem. That sounds great. Well, on the way out, some very inappropriate comments and so forth were made. And I just, I didn't, I got married at 19. I had my first kid at 19. I had no idea how to be able to deal with that. I had no clue. That was not the world I came from. And, you know, it's, and now, especially with text messaging and, you know, if we, you know, instant messenger on our, on our, on our sites, there's so many other ways I think for people to be inappropriate. And unfortunately, especially electronically people, I don't know why are so much more inappropriate electronically than they might've been in person. But if we had those challenges 20 years ago in person at a happy hour, that stuff's going on 10 times more in electronic space and we just can't have it. I'll tell you what I'm, what I'm hearing is that my wife is not telling me the whole story about (laughs) what she deals with and she's not doing it because she knows I'll go knock somebody out. I mean, that's basically what, what I'm translating here. It also means that in, I, I want you to understand that there's also this time in which you don't even want to repeat the disgusting things that, we are faced with and that's that's the truth there are so many times hey i carry a gun and i'm working on my black belt in karate and you if you still believe that you want to come and try to put me <laughs> on a corner which has happened it, it, there's a very specific uh response to that now uh but denise oh, says come get some exactly yeah right. she's like <laughs> you try it buddy you try it but okay. that's the truth that's the reality and, yeah. and that's the part out of it that really it's almost i don't want to sound like oh poor us poor women were victimized by it not at all i don't think all. you i don't i don't think you sound that way at all uh but it is a matter of we are we are exposed to certain pressures that our mm-hmm. counterparts are not. That's it. Um, well, but I, even even in that conversation, I think, Denise, we've seen these conversations. And one thing that we see in the women of IAOA group that we're so proud of is that we have women that literally say, I would never have this conversation in the main group. That they don't, they would never feel comfortable having these conversations that they maybe, you know, I'm honestly, I, I run a team. I've had men and women work for me over the years. And my, I have women sometimes that come on in and they think that it's, they think it's okay to sit in my chair and gossip with me and somehow want to chit chat about their day. And I'm like, no, we're working. You got to get back out there. You know, we have other challenges. I mean, the, the, the whole sexual harassment thing, you know, inappropriateness, absolutely. But I'll say that even beyond that, 
you know, I mean, women even sometimes think of women not necessarily as their boss. They think they can go on in and talk about all their problems. You're your bestie buddy. You know, we have to keep a little bit more of a distance because women are nurturing and women are caring. And sometimes people take that for granted. And people sometimes take different advantage of a woman than they do from a man. Even as an employee, they show up a little bit later. Maybe they think that they can get away with a little bit more. Maybe they think, oh, well, she went to go take care of her kid. So now I don't have to do what I need to do while I'm working. And then, you know, sometimes, I mean, and I know men struggle with it too, but again, it's that caring, nurturing backbone that we have a little bit differently that we struggle with the fact we got to walk in and put this person to the toe because they would never do that for a male boss. Never in a million Mm -hmm. years. Or there's the other part. You have all of those women with all of those feelings. And then you have someone like me who have none of those feelings. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I am forward all business all the time. It actually takes quite a while back. It's the running joke of, if you want a good girlfriend, call my husband. I'm not it. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And it is, it's like I said, and I think we all see that there's different uh, responses. Everybody's different as as women business owners, but um, it's been a great group. I, the women of I, yeah, I want you to, I want you to talk about the group a little bit because I think that it's really important what what I heard out of that, which, you know, men tend to listen to big groups of things and we take little things out of it that we hear. But what I heard from that is that women need a platform and a forum to be able to converse about things that they otherwise might not feel comfortable talking about. And And I know I understand that because, you know, part of me in a sick and twisted way, and I don't want this to sound wrong. I'm always waiting for that one jackass that says the absolute worst thing that could possibly come out of anybody's mouth. And I know it's coming. Like if you were to go post in any larger forum, whether it be IAOA or even on your own page or whatever, you know that that guy is coming out of the woodwork. Yeah. He's going to have a completely ridiculous viewpoint and it's just going to turn into an absolute freak show. I think it's pretty cool that you guys have done that. And, you know, I think that if I had to guess, there's probably men out there who think, oh, we should have a men of IAOA or whatever else. Well, you know what? Go start it then if that's what you want to do. If you want to if you want to have a place where only men can talk, like I don't I just don't see that we face the types of issues that we would we just don't face them. It's a, they don't exist, in my opinion. Like I'm sure there's outliers for everything, but talk about the group and kind of the purpose of it, because I think that it's something that I I know this, the law of large numbers tells me that if I'm talking to two ladies that have been in the industry for 20 plus years and they're facing these issues, there's plenty of other people that are facing these issues, right? It's not limited to you. And so I, I think that you giving people a safe haven to communicate and just sort of air it out and get advice from other people is good. I think, I also think having some experience and understanding the, what it's like to have to moderate a Facebook group, not necessarily sure that I would want to be the one that was breaking up some of the cat fights, but it, um, we haven't had any, you know what, honestly, this group is honestly, it's powered by positivity. It really is. And I agree with you when we first, when we first kind of got it going, I, Denise and I had a conversation. We're like, okay, we've got to make sure this thing stays positive. We got to make sure this thing stays beautiful and that it stays positive, that it stays open, that it stays warm. There's not going to be any of this bashing of anything, period, of any of anything at, on any level. And we haven't had any of that. In fact, we have people literally probably every week that post on some post one way or another how much they love the group and how much it's a, fr- it's a breath of fresh air. Not because we don't challenge each other, but because of the fact that it's such a positive space overall. And I think that's one of the, the overall resounding things that, that this group is really bringing to the table. Yeah, I think that's good. I think also the fact that you're able to, I mean, you have, you have a lot more manageable number from what I understand. How many members do you have in your group right now? I'm sure Denise can look officially, but I think we're up to like 400. And... I, I knew you were bumping between four and five. I wasn't four, sure. Yeah, if you I think we're like 450 is what I'm thinking. 
Four sixty six as of today. Oh, well, yeah. we can get there you. you we can get you to five hundred. You'll be at five hundred long before Absolutely. this comes out. But well, you know, we're also able because it's a smaller group to do some things like uh, <laughs> Denise and I were just gluttons for punishment. But one one of the things we've done is we've done a happy hour that was by time zone. So what we did was from 4.30 to 5.30 in the Eastern time zone, we had a happy hour. Then we went to 4.30 to 5.30 in Central, then 4.30 to 5.30 in Mountain, and then 4.30 to 5.30 in Pacific. And I was a doofus and posted the time wrong on one of the things. And so I actually went from 3.30 to, uh, uh, anyway, so I added an extra hour on the Eastern time zone. But I've got to say, being able to connect with everybody, see them on a Zoom meeting, I was, I walked out of there pumped up. I mean, I walked out of there just jazzed. It was as if I was at innovation almost to some degree. And we had about 15 to 20 people per per time zone. So it wasn't overwhelming. And we didn't really know how that would be. That we, It was kind of an experiment up front. But literally, we have people all the time. This would be a great topic for a Zoom meeting. Let's do another happy hour Zoom meeting. And I mean, it was awesome. I was exhausted. And my voice was completely gone after three and a half hours. But... It was amazing. I mean, and the energy was just awesome. Great, it worked out great for me. So it was everything I needed and more. I think the one thing that I will say about the women of IOA that I'm really loving is that they're not pulling punches. So good. One of them will come out and say, "This is the ad that I'm working on. Tell me what's wrong with it. Not tell me why it's pretty. It's tell me what's wrong with it." To see fellow women say, this is what I would do different. This is how I would change and work together into then now turning it into this beautiful work of art that other women poured into. That's the exciting part out of it. Well, I mean, and that's, I thrive in that environment too, right? I don't want somebody blowing smoke. I want, if I ask you a question, give me an honest answer. I'm not going to hold it against you. I came to you and asked you for your honest opinion and I give mine, you know, I think sometimes, that's one of the reasons why I've been encouraged to smile more, I guess, or whatever, because when somebody asks me a question, I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking, period. There's no candy coating. I don't have time to write flowery responses to questions. I'm going to tell you the answer and go on to the next thing on the list. But you know, that's good. I mean, I think that that's great. I think collaboration is extremely important. I think that um, so many times we can get extremely adversarial for no reason whatsoever Yes. other than we just feel like being adversarial, you know, and you don't need to do that. I mean, I'm probably generous with my time to a fault, but I tell anybody, look, if you have questions and you want to pick my brain, my calendar links right here. If it's open, it's yours. If it's not because it's already scheduled for something. And I, you know, I looked across my calendar last week in the, in the week before and in, in this week again, and I probably have three to four hours out of my week, if not more, every single week just from other people that I'm willing to, to help and, and collaborate with that never would have gotten any kind of reasonable di- uh, dialogue going if they, they posted in a forum somewhere because you have – too many different sizes, shapes, personalities. Look, diversity is great. Love it. Think we need all of it in there. But yep. at the same time, when you ask a question, you never know who's answering it. You know what I mean? You don't know if it's a single man life agency or a 500 employee regional broker. You know, you just you don't know. And so I, I think that you lose some of the um, authenticity of the collaboration when it's, you know, most of the time it turns into chest beating and everything else, in my opinion. Right, right. And, you know, and and and, we, and that's exactly what it is. People love the smaller environment. People love the, 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 the honesty. People love the, the, the encouragement, the challenging encouragement, right? The, the proper, the, the propelment forward. And we, I think everybody really takes it in a, in a, in a grain of love and acceptance and with that, we also go back to a lot of times we do go back to the main group and we post them both places to kind of see what the difference in some of those are, especially for some of our operations. I've definitely seen some of the posts that have been in both places. We've even had some people say, hey, I posted this in the main group. It got no responses and I have no idea what I'm going to do here. 
So let's post it here. And all of a sudden it had 25 responses. You know, I think it's just, it's just a different environment. It's not wrong or right. And it's not anything. And, you know, but it's just, it's just the point where people need to be fed where they, where they feel comfortable. And it doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't diminish anything else, but people need to feel that space and that's what this has provided and i think that's awesome and i think that we're really going to be able to see a lot of the the women in not just iaoa but also women in the insurance space be able to step up because we do need to make sure everybody feels like they have a voice and everybody feels like their contribution is really important i think what's going to be really really cool for you guys to see and we've been going for an hour and i want to respect your time so we'll wrap up after i say this but What's really going to be cool for you to see is the people that find you based on your podcast that over the years end up becoming agency owners as a result of following the Mm. things that you put out there and and it's empowered them to take things to the next level. So I'm excited to see that. I think that we need um, more power women in insurance. I, I shouldn't say that. Let me step back. I think we have plenty of power women in insurance. I think we need to make those people more visible and and back them and empower them to do the things that they're fully capable of doing. And in many cases, better than guys. So fellas, they need to check yourself a little bit and listen to what we talked about today. I look at everything through the filter of if I wouldn't say it to my little girl, I'm not going to say it to anybody else. And that makes it very easy for me to make sure I have good manners. So I just, I hope everybody uh, has enjoyed this episode. Denise, Teresa, thank you so much. Kyle, thank you so much for being here. Oh, you we, got it. Thank you. We uh, we appreciate having you guys on, and I look forward to uh, watching this thing grow for you, and I wish you nothing but continued success. Thank, thank you. Thanks for your support. We appreciate a- that. Absolutely. We'll talk soon, ladies. Take. I can't, by right. the way, can't wait to do the artwork for this thumbnail. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> you, you never know. You never know what's coming. I keep it a secret. <laughs> oh, no, I already got the screenshot, and I'm trying <laughs> oh! to figure out. Yeah, I'll post the screenshot. Teresa was in mid-explanation, but Denise, you look like you have this smoldering look on your face. Like you are really deep into – it's a good one. But anyhow, (laughs) absolutely. Well, listen, ladies, have a good one. Thank you again. Really appreciate it, and we'll talk soon. Talk soon. Thanks, Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.